Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. And the thing about Stockropper is kind of the, the reciprocal of that, where I want to design a system where a family can, you know, kind of what we had uh, back in the 50s or the 60s, where you have maybe just a couple hundred acres, um, and you're doing things in more, uh, more of a hedged balance of crops and livestock, you know, where you have, instead of just one or two income streams, you have seven, eight, you know, different income streams maybe coming off the farm, and you have that power of diversity. Hello, valued listener. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Zach Smith, a fifth-generation farmer, innovator, and co-founder of groundbreaking new crop production system known as Stock Cropping. Drawing from nearly two decades of experience in agronomy and his passion for resilient, community-focused agriculture, Zach has has pioneered the development of an autonomous multi-species livestock grazing barn called Cluster Cluck, all while managing his farm and stock crop. Stock Cropper Incorporated, full time. Zach, excited to have you show. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I'm super interested in both of these things. I grew up on a farm, alfalfa seed, corn, wheat, you know, beans out in Caldwell, Idaho, and so really interested on how learning how I we could have um, leverage stock cropping and maybe even cluster cluck. Um, so excited to just have you on, learn a little bit more about this and really just interested in your story and learning more about you. Yeah, sounds great. Let's get at it. Yeah. So why don't you start us at the beginning? Like you fifth generation farmer, where did stock cropping come from? Sure. So um, yeah, I grew up on a corn and soybean farm in uh, Northern Iowa. Uh, basically I'm located uh, right between Minneapolis and Des Moines, right on the uh, the border. And uh, wasn't room for me on the farm uh, after high school. Uh, we farmed, we had about a thousand acres growing up and some hogs, and uh, so I went off to Iowa State, uh, got a degree in agronomy, and uh, but I came out of uh, college in the early two thousands when uh, the economy was tough, and so uh, thought I was going to take a corporate path, but ended up back at home working for another larger farm operation and started there, and then uh, ended up. Uh, a couple of years later, taking a full-time role as a sales agronomist for a large independent chemical company selling um, herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, uh, seed treatment products kind of all over the Midwest. And that's really where I cut my teeth in ag business and got exposure to uh, understanding how the business works. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 2015, I had a chance to become uh, my own uh, pioneer dealer and start my own ag retail business. And so I did that for the next Seven years um, along the way, I, I took over the family farm in 2013 and kind of did that at night um, on the side. Um, but where stock cropper came from with that background was uh, I've always uh, had a passion for um, land conservation and stewardship and uh, switched our farm, farm operation to strip till and cover crops and row index fertilizer uh, back in 2011 through 2013, made that transition on our corn and soybean acres. Um, And, you know, 
when the pandemic uh, hit, we crop prices were really in the crapper, and mm-hmm. a couple couple other buddies and I uh, were uh, trying to brainstorm um, a way to raise revenue because uh, we were all relatively small acreage farmers and weren't competing with the scale model. So it's just like we've got to think differently about stuff. And so we were yeah. trying to find a solution, and the 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 idea the, the concept we were focused around was called strip intercropping. For those that aren't uh, that aren't familiar with that, it's the uh, system of planting uh, alternating like twenty foot strips of, of crop like corn and soybeans, rather than just planting one across an entire field. And what that gotcha. does is uh, it opens up what are called solar corridors. So you have a tall plant like corn, short plant like soybeans. The corn you can uh, juice the uh, production of the outside rows that have full access to sunlight up and down the entire height of the plant versus when it's just in a canopy, you're really only fixing sunlight on from about the upper half of the, of the, of the canopy. And so when you do this, you can substantially increase yield uh, on the corn, the outside corn rows in these strips. So the idea was if we could uh, juice corn production, what could we do? other than soybeans because the soybeans get penalized from being in that shade but the idea in that system is that the increased corn yield offsets the penalty to beans and kind of raises all ships but what we were interested in is what could we find to put in place of the soybeans that would have something that was just as much of a winner as the corn in that system and so we were really trying there was a couple of us we were trying to kind of uh figure that out in the winter of 2020 and right before covid hit uh we had the idea of putting livestock in between the strips of corn uh, in a pen. And that quickly became uh, the idea for, well, instead of maybe just one species, what if we made multiple species of livestock so that we could increase the biodiversity on the farm? And instead of planting soybeans, we would plant a pasture strip that the animals could go through and graze. Uh, We could make this thing, instead of just a pen, we would make it a mobile grazing barn, which would be solar panels and toy driven ground. GPS auto steer just like the rest of the farm and basically create a, a different way of farming where it's all about uh, the advantage of arrangement where the animals are there to reduce inputs by feeding the soil with their manure. The crop mm-hmm. is there next door to produce the feedstuffs to feed the animals the, the following year. And it's a perfect rotation where you simply the next year you just rotate where the pasture was. Now you plant your crops. And you have a, uh, an incredibly uh, low-carbon footprint alternative to the conventional production system that uh, you see when you drop, drive across the, uh, the Midwest. And that's what we call stack cropping. And so the, that's and then crazy. the bar, yeah, yeah, it is. awesome at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but I forgot to mention, yeah, we called, uh, you, you mentioned in the intro, we called our invention, which was our novel invention, our product that we're, we're trying to develop is... Uh, the world's first multi-species grazing barn that we call, uh, the first one we called the Cluster Cluck 5000, uh, just to have kind of a, a fun name, and it's kind of stuck, and everybody seems to like it, so we've, we've stuck with that. So, Man, I am imagining this system, the inner strip cropping, and then you saw the challenges with soybeans, COVID hit, you figured out why not put livestock where the soybeans were it's really fascinating zach um especially when you just imagine that driving down the highway and you see (laughs) corn Mm -hmm. and then 
livestock in between the corn, how many rows of corn versus how many rows of livestock are you yeah. guys typically doing? So if you're familiar with Midwest or most agriculture in the Midwest, that's most of it's based off of a 30 inch row spacing. So two and a half feet. Uh, so, um, Ideally, this system at scale would be set up probably for 20-foot or 8-row strips of corn and a 20-foot strip of pasture in between, and then that would just be alternating across an entire field. Okay, so 20 feet e each way. Gotcha. Yep. yep. Okay. And so you mentioned the yields. Like, the yields would be higher on the outside edges for the corn is mm -hmm. there any a, a what is the increased yield that you saw and b is there any impact with this new new method on the middle rows uh yeah good question so the so i'll just give you an example from last year so we uh, it was our first year of completing the rotation on our new site where we had animals run in 2021 and then 2022 we rotated and grew corn where the animals went the previous year and then we managed it uh managed the corn in this kind of high intensity system where we increase the the population on the outside rows and then plant a lower population on the inside rows uh to kind of juice the system even more and so from a yield standpoint last year, uh, where we did the stock cropper production system of growing corn with hardly any inputs for additional nutrients, because the nutrients were there from the livestock, we grew 303 bushel an acre corn, uh, which is the highest corn yield I've ever had on my farm uh, from a test plot standpoint. And then versus what we had to grew in our standard production practices, uh, we averaged about, I think, about 230 bushel an acre on our conventional production last year across the board. So uh, about a 70 bushel amount, you know, boot, which uh, is pretty substantial. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, that's not uncommon. Like the, I would expect with strip intercropping normally to, you know, if you're growing 230 bushel corn, you should get 280 to 300 bushel corn, probably if you're managing things correctly. So. But that's on the yield side, but then you're also saving on the input side, right? Yeah. Yeah. And. And the inputs that we're applying are in the form of animal manure, which is being, you know, defecated onto a ground with a living cover all the time. So for people not familiar with how livestock manure is handled in states like Iowa and Minnesota, is it's normally applied after harvest at the end of the season when there isn't anything living out there for roots to take the nutrients up that may be mobile. And so with the concern mm. of water quality, uh, you know, issues in a state like Iowa with Des Moines Raccoon Rivers um, or, you know, any of them that going to the Mississippi. Uh, this is a, a system that's much tighter with holding on to the nutrients that were, you know, basically coming out the back end of the animals and then tied back up immediately with um, plant biology. So it's genius. So instead of letting that manure essentially just run off into the water, because like you said, after harvest, there's no roots there's just less activity in the soil to draw it back in. Right. And it's not that people are doing that like intentionally to do it poorly. It's just, that's the yeah. system that's evolved and it's convenient because the crop is off. And so in our system, we can apply to a living crop all year long. 
essentially, and we don't need a manure spreader because the cluster cluck is the manure spreader. It just it's automatically advancing itself a couple times a day in a prescribed movement, um, so that you know the animals are consistently dropping the same amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's genius. Um, on these, on the land that you're executing these, you know, the strip intercropping system, are those irrigated or or not? No, they're not. I wish okay. they were because <laughs> we've been really dry the last couple uh, four summers, and I've yet to uh, I've yet to have a normal summer with normal rainfall patterns because we've just been exceptionally dry the last four summers of doing this, and we we needed a rain today. To, and as we're speaking here, it's really hot and stuff starting to show it. And um, but yeah, irrigation or like sub drip would be ideal to to have and invest in a system like this. Mm-hmm. So, but with this, I mean, you mentioned land conservation, and it seems like these types of systems and technologies, you know, better allow for the soil, you know, over time, you're not going to see immediate benefits, but it seems like over time, the soil will be able to hold more moisture. So when it does fall, it's yeah. captured in the soil longer. Yeah, 100%. Like all of the farming practices that I'm utilizing before, and then you know, when you integrate livestock in and you can do it correctly, like that's the, that's kind of the pinnacle of the regenerative egg, you know, pyramid of, of practices. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we're not only are we, you know, likely increasing water infiltration, but we're increasing the amount of, uh, biological diversity, um, you know, by a factor of about 10, uh, when you look at the, you know, adding three or four different species of livestock and then, the diverse, you know, we're planting, like we have an eight-way uh, warm season pasture mix planted right now that we're going to be starting to graze here in the next week or two. So, we, you know, versus just a field of corn or a field of soybeans, we have a multitude of both plants and animals that are that are moving across uh, uh, this land that we're managing with the system. Mm-hmm. I kind of imagine, like, think of a, a jungle. There is so much going on in a jungle, and then if yep. you dig in the soil of a jungle and you see the diversity of that it's essentially taking i mean it's kind of simplistic but you're just increasing the amount of biofactors in the area rather than just monocropping yep yeah 100 percent. so so what is the you mentioned a biofactor of 10 was that right like what, what does that mean well it's just simple i mean when if we just have corn that we're growing right uh so that's our diversity is a species of one. You know, we have about 10 different species now, different plants and animals that we're having uh, in that field versus just a field of corn or a field of soybeans. So that's mm-hmm. what Gotcha. So you, instead of just like one, one corn species, like you, you're not only having multiple plants, but multiple animals in the same acre. Right. So and then every, alternating. Yeah. So every... Every uh, species, whether it's a plant or animal, has different attributes as far as like how it can benefit the soil or soil life. So, um, you know, like in Iowa, a lot of people just apply hog manure, but there's different attributes to hog manure versus sheep manure versus chicken manure, different properties that, and they have different, uh, uh, you know, microbiome makeups. And so, yeah, all of that stuff going into the soil, yeah offers different benefits and the same with plants there's different plant species like in our pasture mixes that um you know can attack things like uh, nematodes uh, you know or mm-hmm. or 
uh, help with, with other, you know, deficiencies, make phosphorus more available that's naturally in the soil. So there's a lot of things that nature does on its own, like in a forest or a jungle, when we're not applying nutrients or trying to manage it, that it figures out a way to grow a lot of stuff on its own. And we're, we're trying to figure out how to kind of mimic nature, but still do it, uh, come up with a, a truly regenerative production system that's scalable, uh, that is less intrusive and less has le- less negative, uh, substantially less negative ex- negative externality costs yeah. from what our current system has. So speaking about negative externalities and differing viewpoints, I'm I'm imagining myself driving on a highway in Iowa and going by one of your operations, and then a couple miles down the road going seeing a monocrop and just seeing the vast difference. What are the opposing viewpoints from your community, you know, folks in your community? Um, and then, you know, what are the challenges that you, that you see with this and how, like, how are you managing that conversation? Cause it's, it's really new. It's fascinating, but I feel like there's a lot of hesitancy or there there tends to be probably a lot of hesitancy to do these types of new practices. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like this is mockers to most people, uh, and you know, yeah. anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, to be honest with you, most people just drive by and they don't even get it. And, you know, very few locals even talk to me, you know, about it. I have a lot more interest from, you know, places a lot further away than just around my backyard. But, um, so, because it, it kind of attracts the village idiots that kind of are dreamers for something that's better. And I think that's what's turned uh, people onto it. But the biggest, you know, the biggest challenge is it's so much different than the current system. The current system of farming in Iowa is uh, just scale up and get as big and as many acres uh, and get across them as fast as possible and be highly, highly specialized and, you know, uh, keep pouring technology inputs from you know the major manufacturers and that's how you get ahead in farming and the thing about stock cropper is kind of the the reciprocal of that where i want Mm -hmm. to design a system where a family can you know kind of what we had in the 50s or 60s where you have maybe just a couple hundred acres um, and you're doing things in more uh, more of a hedged balance of crops and livestock you know where you have instead of just one or two income streams, you have seven, eight, you know, different income streams maybe coming off the farm and you have that power of diversity. Now, the reason that's so foreign is that things have gotten so highly specialized and people are so hyper-focused on just corner beans that it doesn't, you know, like the thought process for somebody to make a living off of just a couple hundred acres is so foreign to people or the idea of, having to go back and have integrated farms with livestock where, you know, a lot of grain farmers, you know, that gets to this time of year, they just want to go to the lake and yep. know, not worry about, you know, doing chores or things like that. And so mm-hmm. where that used to, I mean, the, the culture of rural life and the way, not all farms, but a lot of cash grain farms, you know, it's not that, and I mean, I'm, I'm a cash grain farmer. It's not that hard to do, you know, what we do. Yeah. There's times of the year we work pretty hard, but uh, if you want to, it can be a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty easy lifestyle in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, it's a system that requires, you know, people to be more invested uh, back and be present on the farm. Um, 
you know, year round and, and have complexity. And, uh, and then as far as the, the challenge, like the system itself, I mean, this is our fourth year doing it. The system works. Like there's no question in that in my mind. The, the biggest challenge to get at the scale is how do you, uh, you know, with the, the consolidation that we've had in the agricultural industry, especially around meat processing, like where do we go with yep. this product and how do we get it uh, to market and in the hands of consumers that want to have animals raised in a scalable sy a system that's potentially able to do at scale, but how do we get access to the processing that gets it to the consumers? That's the biggest challenge. Yeah. It's a, it's a worthwhile challenge, but just think about the diversity that you're able to engender on your farm and the long-term potential of that farm that does these process does these practices. It seems like, like on a risk adjusted basis, it's much more favorable implementing these, yeah. these things that you're doing than just monocropping and scaling and just throwing more inputs into it. Yeah, a hundred percent. But it's just, again, like that mindset is so foreign to the culture that exists today. And that's, you know, and that's, it's not that people are intentionally, uh, you know, trying to do mm -hmm. poorly. It's just, that's what, that's, what's been cultivated. We've had this policy that's driven things in this direction and it's just, you know, it does, it just doesn't flip overnight for some people. They get it very, very quickly. Uh, and mm -hmm. they, they want to do it and want to learn how to do it more, but there's a lot of things that have to come along for the party for something like this to, um, to really take off. Yeah. So well, it's also integrated into the larger system, right? What do you mean by that? Like subsidies and scale. Oh yeah. yeah and compensation. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Right. It's much easier just to be a subsidized corn and soybean farmer than it is to, uh, to do this. And, but honestly, I mean, one of the things that we, when we created it is we wanted to get it off of, we wanted to make a system that was both environmentally and economically resilient so that you didn't need crop insurance or depend on it like we do right now with the safety nets that we have. Um, and the reason that is, is the fact that we have the cluster clucks allow for enterprise stacking of multiple livestock entities in space and time. And so we can get an incredible amount of value creation in a cluster cluck. You know, that could be worth twelve to $15,000 an acre in gross revenue for pasture-raised protein that we're producing in, in that building. And so even with $7 corn, um, those type of gross revenues uh, way, way outperform what uh, corn or soybeans are, you know, right now. Um, and yeah, so, but the, the key is, is it's great that you can do it and produce it, but you've got to have a pathway to get it to, to market. And that's, that's one of the biggest headwinds that we face in developing this further. So are you guys currently trying to go like direct to consumer or what are the, what, what does the future look like for cluster collect in your operation? Yeah. So when we started, you know, 20 or in 2020, we, I mean, we, we didn't know if any of this was going to work, but after we got through the first year and we saw that this was possible, that we had good results, we expanded in 2021. Um, and we wanted to make bigger barns and we wanted to make smaller cluster clucks, uh, to see, how they how they would work in the different scales and so the the way that the business is shaping up like i'm getting very close um i'm hoping by the end of this year that we'll actually be able to um 
maybe make our first production run of some cluster clucks to sell to people. We've had interest. People have wanted to buy it from day one, yeah, but it's just a matter of getting geared up properly to do that, to have a good product. Because uh, I refuse to put something out that's not going to work well. Um, and so the evolution of that, because of the constraints with, uh, you know, scalable meat processing options, the, the idea of driving across the island seeing fields of stock cropping, probably not overly likely in the next, you know, three to five years. Um, but there's a ton of opportunity in the, the smaller market space of, what I would call protein uh, sovereignty uh, focused individuals where coming out of COVID, you know, they went to the grocery store for the first time and didn't find meat. And, yep. you know, maybe they have, uh, they've got an acre and a half of land and they've got a city ordinance that allows to have some chickens. And so that, or they've got kids that are, you know, glued to their tablets and haven't developed any real work ethic or life skills or, you know, things like, and they want to introduce things that are real, you know, we've got meta and the, you know, the, uh, chat GPT, chat GPT. And like, nobody <laughs> does real shit anymore. And like this, yeah. uh, you know, like this is, these are real tangible things that have almost like, it was commonplace, you know, like 50 years ago where what, but like now the idea of making your own meat and it's like a, this crazy idea. And so, um, I've introduced a lot of people to it, uh, and like the reaction is just, it's really cool. And I think there's value in that. And so what we're going to focus, uh, the stock cropper business is going to be focused around producing, uh, autonomous cluster clucks for, uh, those type of markets, backyard, homesteader, uh, type folks. And then with the intention of still, you know, as the market probably comes around to us, cause there's a huge push. You know, when you look at stock cropping from like a carbon intensity scoring system, it's going to be mm -hmm. off the charts. If we have somebody come in and study what we're doing, uh, it will blow the living. I mean, it'll blow the lights oh, off yeah. of anything, anything else. And so I've, it, we're just not there yet. You know, all this carbon market stuff is relatively new. There's a lot of things that are going to get flushed out, but I like the way that we're positioned long term for that. And we're so we're going to continue to do the testing and make the use case on our farm here with the test plots, and we've actually got barns now. We have a cluster cluck working at uh, this summer, actually this week, uh, down at the uh, Precision Planting um, PTI farm in uh, Pontiac, Illinois, which uh, is a is a common stop for a lot of farm operations in the summer for innovative uh, economic ideas. They've, uh, they've implemented the stock cropping system. They've got a stock cropper plot uh, at their farm. And so uh, we've got that's another awesome. barn. Yeah. We've got another barn at a, a TV show location for that's going to be on RFD TV called Coop Dreams this fall. And so we're going to, you know, we're continuing to get the message out there. We've had politicians, uh, you know, stop in from, uh, last week, we had the Secretary of Agriculture from State of Iowa here. Uh, a couple weeks, we've got uh, uh, Senator Joni Ernst uh, scheduled to stop in. So, you know, the we're just, it's it's a long it's a long journey, uh, but we just got to keep plugging and and showing people that it's possible and and uh, and continue to prove it here in our our little facility outside of Buffalo Center, Iowa. It's pretty cool, Zach. I mean, it's more than pretty cool. I mean, there there's so many benefits to this new product and this way of innovative thinking, especially when you have an eye towards the future, you see what's happening in the carbon markets. Like you understand that something's happening with the climate and yeah. no matter your 
opinions, right, left, center, no matter what. Like, I think it's pretty clear that we have to do something. And the only way to do that is to change our practices going forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, I mean, it's definitely obvious from a consumer perspective that it matters whether I don't think there's politics. I mean, there's politics uh, involved with it, but um, when, you know, when the people with the money are directing things, uh, the politics be damned, which is great in my opinion, because then it comes, becomes a true market. And so, um, yeah, I, I, we're, I think we're incredibly well positioned uh, for what the future holds in the next 10 to 20 years on that front, for sure. I agree. It's cool stuff. What what are some of the, the challenges? I mean, we've talked about a few challenges, but when I just think about, you know, integrating these cluster collects at a smaller scale, one, two, three acres for small scale farmers, what are some of the challenges? And when I think about it, what about a hill? If they have a slight yep. hill or um, irrigation, how does that play into it? I mean, what, what, what are some of those things that you guys are thinking about? Yeah, so the, um, you know, it's pretty flat here in Iowa where, where we're doing it. And uh, you would, it would be a challenge to use our system in, you know, really, really hilly terrain. It's not that it's not possible, but when you look at our barn setup and keeping it going straight down, uh, especially if you're in the confines of like strip intercropping where there's not a lot of tolerance for like shift or drift or sliding with the machine, um, yeah. that's going to make it a lot more difficult. But um, you know, so that's, uh, that's a, the, the slope thing is probably somewhat of a challenge. Also, you know, one of the issues uh, that we've had to work through and we've evolved on is, uh, you know, when it rains, like, how do you manage that? Cause there ultimately there's going to be times where it's muddy traction mm. is an issue for, for advancing things. Um, but the key that we found there is to just increase, uh, flotation, decrease the weight of the barn, really get the barn optimized. So it's got a really light footprint. And then the fact, though, that you're, you're driving it on an established pasture, um, it really seems to mitigate when you have, you know, we've had times when we've had five, six inches of rain and we're still able to move our barns uh, through that just because of the soil structure that sets up with the value of the system. And so, uh, but that that is something, you know, that's an issue. And, uh, you know, the other, I mean, the reason that people put animals in, capos is because you know you have more environmental protection and so you really you know this system is only going to really be viable during the season so may through october because once uh it starts getting cold like here in the northern climates uh you know the the pipes on the barn you know can freeze and so it's really designed uh you know for animals like sheep and goats uh pigs um which you can finish in four months usually on on pasture or mm -hmm. you know uh, out out like that and then uh, we could get two two turns of chickens within that time frame as well uh so that it's really meant to be um finishing animals uh, in the summertime and then uh gestating and having you know kids and um piglets and chicks uh in the spring gotcha yeah that's good clarification i imagine yeah, slope can be a challenge and you think about just the soil becoming really soft and then that structure kind of sinking in and then it dries. What is that process? Is it going to be stuck in the mud? Like, I don't know, but keeping yeah, that no, system we, light is yeah, and we, huge. And we, 
yeah, and we have gotten stuck, and that's part of the evolution because, you know, then we're like, well, we got it. It's obvious we've got to make this thing lighter. So, you know, one of the other things that is unique about our barns is that they actually capture rainfall. So the, the roofs are all in inverted V, so it collects uh, enough. If you get an inch of rain, we can fill all of our onboard water holding capacity. Um, but when we do that, we added, you know, 800 to 900 pounds of weight to our chassis. So it's great yep. that we can collect the water. Uh, it works well in an inch of rain, but if you get five or six inches of rain and it's really, really wet, then you got to be able to get rid of that weight off. And so uh, we've we've evolved and put, you know, dump spouts so that if we got to drop the weight just to, to keep light or as light as possible, uh, we've got that option as well. The other thing mm-hmm. that we we've added is when it gets really muddy and you have pigs, um, you know, they can really destroy stuff with rooting around in the mud. And so we've got, uh, the barns are designed with uh, a raised floor and they can be locked in, in periods of like wet, muddy weather. If, uh, so the manure can still fall through gotcha. the barn, uh, but you know, we can wait till things dry out a little bit to let them back out. So. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. That raised floor. Smart. Really smart. Are these things in constant movement as they go throughout the field? Yeah, no, that's a good question. We didn't specify that. So they are, uh, they're designed um, to move. So the, the, the barn is a central barn with a central structure with wheels on each side and a roof. And, and then, and then fore and aft of the barn, we have the grazing pens. Uh, so in the front, we have small ruminants like sheep or goats, or you could put, uh, you know, cattle in there as well. And then behind that, we have pigs, and then we have a trailing pen of chickens. So we have, you know, three or four species across, but the watering system is all tied together. It's all plumb, so all the animals are drawing off the same uh, watering source. And the depth of the grazing pens is eight feet. Um, and so we move okay. eight feet. Uh, three or four times, sometimes five times a day, depending on the quality of the pasture or the stocking density of animals that we have in for meeting their, meeting their needs to keep them fed throughout the day. But the, the animals like pigs and sheep that, you know, can't, they're not ruminants, so they, they're monogastric animals that have to have an additional ration. We're still feeding them a normal, uh, you know, grain fed ration uh, that we have to bring out every couple of days and fill their feeders up uh, with like a UTV you know, to, to chore with. So it's not like yep. this is completely autonomous. You know, you just walk away yeah. with livestock. You still, you still, if you're in a production system, you need to be out there, you know, uh, you know, probably every day or at least every two days to make sure oh, that, yeah. that things are okay. Cause things do happen. You know, you get something that gets, uh, something. there's always, you know, no, no system is perfect. Uh, but when it works, it works really, really well. So. That's great. Appreciate the the clarity there. Yeah, it definitely illuminates like these things in my mind um, a, a little bit more, but I got to check out. Do you guys have a website up and running for this? Yeah, uh, I've got uh, the website is thestockcropper.com. Uh, but okay. if I'm being honest, it's, it's going to be, uh, I've been working on relaunching it for the past year and we haven't got it done. So it's it's very generic and very basic. It We made it the first year. So people go to it. Um, you're not going to see a lot of the things I would recommend. Uh, I would recommend going to our YouTube channel if you want to see um, a better description over the last. Uh, so I put out episodes uh, throughout the summertime that people can go and look and really see the better context of what it is we do um, here uh, on the farm. Okay. So to, to see the perfect bucks in action. 
it, and what's the YouTube? Is it Zach Smith or is it Stock Cropper? No, it's Stock Cropper. Yeah, S T O C K C R O P P E R. Awesome. Super helpful, and we will also link to that um, in the show notes. But Zach, this has been hugely insightful. Um, I really love what you're doing. Um, fascinating, fascinating stuff. N- did not know this was a thing, um, but I really hope it becomes more more commonplace in the in the world of ag and monocropping. Um, so we mentioned, you know, stockcropper dot or stockcropper on YouTube, um, and where else can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, the website is thestockcropper.com, and you can, I'm sure you okay. put that in the notes. Um, but we do have a mailing list on there that if um, um, I've directed people toward, if you have interest in um, when we actually come out with uh, barns for sale, that's where we're going. I'd encourage people to sign up to our mailing list because we'll communicate uh, directly that way to folks to give them first chance at that. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, follow. Uh, uh, we're on basically all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and I can give you those uh, things to link in, in the show notes as well. And uh, I do have a TikTok account. I'm trying to get better at TikTok. I actually had my daughter give me a lesson on cap cut <laughs> this morning because I'm old and I need help. And uh, she's really good at it. So, um, but then the other thing I would say, I'll give if you l- allow me to plug it. Uh, we have a Absolutely. field day com- coming up on August 26th uh, at our site here uh, near Buffalo Center, Iowa. So Saturday, August 26th at 10 a.m. And uh, we're going to have, uh, we'll have five different cluster clucks on hand if everything goes according to plan in the next uh, three or four weeks. We'll have tours of, you can see the working system in the field. Um, and then we, uh, the one thing that we didn't talk about is um, uh, I've got other cropping schematics that don't include livestock, but include more diversity by planting corns and uh, widened out row widths in a different arrangement and then planting a diverse mix of plants in between as a cover crop to kind of build and increase soil health and do a and then still maintain parity yield production to, to normal stuff and so that those are things that we're working on that are uh, much more applicable to broad acre solutions for trying to increase mm-hmm. diversity on the landscape because not like I said not everybody is going to become a stock cropper in the next five years it's just not going to happen but one of our goals when we started this was to come up with concepts that we learned from the system that we can apply to more acres uh, in general. And so we've got a couple really, really unique uh, schematics of corn production that we've got to show folks as well. And uh, it's just an awesome event. It's the fourth one we've done. We get just such a cool collection of people uh, from across the country that, you know, drive a long ways to show up for it. And it's a great place to come and interact if you're interested in any of these kind of uh, uh, farm weird type concepts. Uh, it's it's just a it's a really fun event. So uh, you can uh, I actually in the if you go to the YouTube channel we've got a whole video that shows exactly what you're going to see that I just put out a couple days ago and there's an RSVP uh, Eventbrite link if you're interested in coming. So that's my plug for our field day again August 26 10 a.m. Boom, love the plug, Zach. It, it's been a great. Great time for me. I learned a lot and I hope all of our listeners did as well. I hope they check out all your stuff. You really make an impact on the industry and just love what you're doing. So thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Good conversation today. Absolutely. And listeners, hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did today. Um, feel free to reach out to Zach or any of the links that we showcase also be in the show notes. So 
yeah, that will be all for today. See y'all later.